I, I might have looked crazed because I was so like, oh my gosh, I, I was not expecting that ending. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. This week, we're going to be talking about the 2019 film, The Farewell, and I'm honored to welcome to the show Shade Glover. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on. So tell listeners a little bit about your podcast, Off Screen Babble, and why they should check it out. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I host a podcast with my husband called Offscreen Babble. It's a TV and movie podcast. And basically, we started the podcast a little over a year ago because we noticed like we love going to the movies. We love watching TV. And we also like anytime we would leave the theater or watch or like finish a, a season of a TV show, we would have like really long conversations about it. And then I finally was like, I also love podcasts. I listen to so many TV and movie podcasts. And I was like, okay, let's do this. My husband is not um, as critical, at least initially he wasn't, but now he's getting into it. And I think if you enjoy just like a casual conversation about, especially we do a lot more recent releases, but we're starting to do a few older movies here and there. Um, But if you just like listening to casual conversations about something that you just watched, I would recommend our show. Yeah, that's those are some of my favorite actually uh, movie podcasts are the ones where you feel basically like a fly on the wall of a conversation, like like something you would if you went to dinner with friends after seeing a movie, like the kind of conversation you would have rather than uh, I guess, you know, and there's a place for these as well. The more distinguished film critics that like really dig Mm -hmm. into something and they get so analytical that it kind of takes all the fun out of it in a way. You know what I mean? And there's a balance there that 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 is really the sweet spot for what makes uh, a movie podcast uh, entertaining, but also informative and, you know, endlessly listenable. Exactly. I, I always describe like, I'm sure you've seen this meme or your listeners have where it's that meme where a guy he's eating ice cream and he's next to like a poster of an ad of three people eating ice cream and they're all laughing and he's laughing like he's joining in the poster, <laughs> but he's like, obviously not. Yeah. That's kind of how that's like my ideal podcast situation where I feel like, oh, yeah, we're all friends and just hanging out and talking, you know, like um, and I hope that I can create that vibe with uh, my show. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I've had my wife, Kai, on the podcast many times. In fact, before I, I switched to this current format, she she was it was her and my brother, Freddie, who were kind of the the uh, alternating guests, you know, co-hosts. It was just me and one of them normally for the longest time. So w- what's it been like podcasting with your husband and doing this as a, as a married couple, making this like a uh, kind of a project for both of you? Uh, it's been really exciting because, you know, my husband also um, is a musician, like as a hobby, and he knows a lot about audio sound. So like it was great uh, with him, like helping me with technical stuff mm-hmm. because I did not know any of that. Even with this call today, I was like, please, can you just make sure everything's good? Because I'm not confident about it at all. Um, And so having that support and then like not to be like too mushy, but like I was like really, really down on myself. Like who would want to listen to me talk about anything? And my husband was obviously very supportive. And I think you could definitely get that type of um, support from a friend or anyone else. But it was nice getting it from my husband because, you know, I trust him and it it was just nice to be like, okay, we could do this. And then it's always exciting talking to him about stuff because, you know, when, like I mentioned earlier, he wasn't very critical when we would watch stuff early on in our relationship. But I think, uh, since he's seen my enthusiasm for, (laughs) uh, TV and movies, he's gotten more critical and it's just really exciting to like hear from him what he's excited about. And, uh, I look forward to recording the podcast every week with him. Like, okay, we watched this thing. Okay, now what do we think? Because sometimes we will talk about it briefly, but we'll wait until we record the podcast to really get into it. Yeah, and and also, obviously, being a married couple, you have that built-in rapport. So having that kind of that yeah. chemistry is such an important part of of having a podcast. You have to find the the right the right co-host that you that you gel with, or or that you that you have enough in common with to not be constantly at each other's throats, but that you have difference of opinion enough to make it interesting to listen to. You just want, you don't want just two people constantly agreeing with each other either. There's no fun in that. 
Exactly. I have listened to a few podcasts where I'm like, oh my gosh, I think these people do not like each other. And it is <laughs> awkward to listen to. It's like, uh oh, am I hearing a fight right now? Like, it's just like, it feels a little uncomfortable. In certain situations, I guess it could be entertaining. Um, right. But yeah, with uh, my husband, we are, uh, we tend to ha- be kind of on the same page. However, I do think we bring some different perspectives, especially with depending on the film, um, when, depending on how, uh, it connects with us. If it's a personal connection, it's nice to learn new things from one another. Uh, things that I guess just didn't come up organically, but came up through whatever we watched. So, yeah. Yeah, no. And that, that's, yeah, that's always the, the fun, the fun part of that is, and it's funny too, because just the other day on, uh, on Twitter, I saw somebody sharing a clip of, uh, Siskel and Ebert back in the day and like coming, almost coming to blow <laughs> over baby's, oh, yeah. over baby's <laughs> day out. The 1994 <laughs> completely disposable comedy, I think, written by John Hughes, or he had something to do with it. Terrible okay. movie that I remember watching as a kid and being like, this sucks. And then just <laughs> watching like them just totally not on the same wavelength. I mean, there, there is something to be said for, for that kind of content. But yeah, on a re- regular basis, Absolutely. it can get exhausting. And then, yeah. Um, I've heard yeah, I can't imagine well. if that was our dynamic all the time. I right. would probably like, maybe we should not do this. Because <laughs> like, luckily, we've had had some like, wow, you really enjoyed this piece of content way more than me. And I'm just here listening to you. I don't like, you know, it's a little bit more respectful, but I will like put my input. Like, I don't know if I agree with that. And we'll kind of talk it out. It's definitely more civil. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the great thing about doing this show is that I have different people on every episode. So I constantly getting a different perspective. You know, people bring movies that either I, you know, haven't seen in the longest time or that I haven't seen at all, and I and, you, and hearing people talk about a movie that they love is is it's infectious that kind of passion. And so even if it's a movie that I'm not like over the moon about, I have a new appreciation for it afterwards just by hearing them say you know what they love about it so much. Yeah, that's always awesome to have somebody who's really enthusiastic because it is difficult if neither of you are enthusiastic about it. <laughs> right, <laughs> it, it might be a little hard to talk about. Right. Have there been any recent instances in that uh, where, where both of you, you know, both you and Kyle, which is like, eh, this was I didn't care for this. Me either. End of episode. This is a short one this week. Yeah. You know, there was one. I'm trying to think um, Men in Black International. I mean, I feel like we did have plenty to say, especially because my husband loves the first. I believe he loves the first two the most of uh, Men in Black. Uh, but when we left the theater, we were like, you know, it's a movie. It wasn't great but it was disappointing and so it kind of felt like are we do we have much to say about this we we kind of had a similar feeling which does make it a little hard to record when you're like are we talking like should we like (laughs) like, we need to you know so that was a little bit uh of an interesting like record where we're like okay we didn't like the movie but it's not like the worst movie in the world and when you're when you when you feel like in the middle of something it's almost frustrating because you want to be like yeah you want to be like this was horrible and this is why I didn't like it or I loved it or yeah, it's really good. Instead we were like, it's not bad, but I want to tell someone they can't ever, you know, like it was just so frustrating. Uh, We ended up not liking the movie overall. And like we, we did, I think say like maybe it was the most disappointing movie we saw this summer, maybe because of our expectations going into it. But overall that recording session was a bit awkward because we're like, okay, what do we, what do we have to say about this film? And what what do we have to offer? Like that's worth someone listening to this episode, right? Men, men in black, more like meh in black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I had exactly, a, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, like like Kyle, I, I love the first movie. In fact, I just recently posted an episode on the first movie that I did with a, with a, a, a guest who has his own podcast. So um, so yeah, I know I totally agree with you. And I was listening. I totally mentioned to you right before we started recording, and this is kind of a nice segue that you had. No, I was listening to your uh, best of best and worst, I guess, of summer 2019, as far as movies are mm-hmm. concerned. And you had mentioned that as most disappointing, which I was listening to you, both of you say kind of on the same page with it. And, and I 100 percent agree. Um, but you did mention The Farewell, the movie we're going to talk about this episode as your instant classic pick. So we'll get we'll get to why that is in, in a moment. So first, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for The Farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Your nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. 
people to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Do you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, Nana will find out right away. Really? That was a little bit of the trailer for The Farewell from this year, 2019, directed by Lulu Wang. So, Sade, why did you want to talk about this movie specifically, and why is it your standout release from uh, from this past summer? So, for me, you know, I, this year, went to the San Francisco Film Festival for the first time. I live in the Bay Area, but I've never gone to the film festival, and they screened this there. So, this was one of the first films I ever saw in, like, a film festival setting, Um, so I think maybe going into it, I was already pretty excited, but I had no real expectations for the film because I purposely tried not to learn anything about it. Mm -hmm. I knew it already premiered at Sundance, but I was purposely trying to go into it like, okay, I want to see this movie. Uh, luckily we got to also be there for Q and a with Lulu Wong and, um, it was awesome, but I really wanted to just kind of feel it out. Then when we watched the movie, it just hit me so hard and you know I I I always say this to my husband and he disagrees but like sometimes I think I I'm definitely also I might sound like a robot right now (laughs) I definitely can understand uh like being emotional and stuff but I feel like sometimes I don't showcase that I don't it takes a lot for a movie to emotionally connect with me I guess is my point what I'm Mm -hmm. trying to make and this movie for me it just like hit me so hard I couldn't stop thinking about it um, it's, it was hilarious, which was also a thing I was not expecting. It's very hard for me to go into a movie and be surprised by the content and what my emotional reaction will be. You know, like if I go see a movie, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a comedy. I'm going to laugh, you know, whatever. In this movie, I like, when I started laughing, I was like, whoa, was I supposed to laugh? Like, okay. <laughs> I did not know it was going to be funny. And like, when I started to get more emotional, I was kind of expecting that because I knew a little bit about what the film was about, but, um, yeah, it just really connected with me, I think, because uh, not to get too personal, but I don't have a really close knit family myself. But because I'm married, I would like to one day start a family mm-hmm. and uh, expand. And it just made me really um, happy to think like that family connection, how sweet it can be and how supportive it can be and um, how patient and just all these different things that you see in the main character, Billy, uh, played by Aquafina, all the things that she's going through with her grandmother. It's just incredibly touching. And I, it's something that I, I want in my personal life, but also I appreciate seeing on film. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I didn't see this until I think, yeah, like, early August, I think like it was, it took a while to get to Mm -hmm. Florida where I am. And, um, I knew we were doing this episode. So I made it a point to go see it, you know, make sure I didn't miss it before it left theaters because it it played here Mm -hmm. kind of briefly, just a few weeks. It's one of those blink and you miss it at your local AMC because, you know, the next Disney movie is going to kick it out um, a couple weeks later. So, uh, and I didn't know a whole lot about it. I I knew uh, that Aquafina was, was the lead. I knew it had gotten a lot of buzz, of course, all over film Twitter. Anytime, you know, this movie was, was kind of, uh, praised across the board so it was book smart like every once in a while these are these small movies that i hear whispers about online and then i'm like okay i haven't seen the trailer for that let's just let it be and let's just go check it out and see what all the fuss is about so i went into this mostly blind uh as well and i, I think that you know for smaller movies like this i think that really helps and um it, for a film that that has such a balance of comedy and drama um that's actually stealthily one of my favorite genres of film because i feel like I feel like it is the the closest that we, you know, the, the, the most accurately represents what real life is like. It's, you know, one day, yeah. you know, you're laughing about something and then, you know, you're, you're you know, uh, tragedy strikes or whatever. And then you have to find the levity in that situation. And it's, comedy dramas tend to be a, a genre that really appeals to me because of that, because it is kind of uh, the most natural tone that we experience every single day. And I think that's it's really special when a movie can pull that off and be hilarious, as you mentioned, but also have those heartfelt moments without coming across like, you know, overly, overly sweet or like, you know, too maudlin or like, Mm -hmm. you know, really 
manipulative, emotionally, emotionally manipulative is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And this film yeah. it reminded me of, of um, The Big Sick a little bit from a couple years ago, which has a similar tor- sort of vibe, Focus, focuses on a family, it focuses on a, a culture that, you know, as as a, uh, well, my, my family is half Cuban, half Italian, but I, you know, essentially consider myself a white guy. I, uh, mm-hmm. this culture that I'm not really familiar with, and it has that sort of blend of moments that make you want to cry and then moments that make you want to laugh out loud. And I think that that's really, that's really tricky to pull off. And this is Lulu Wang's only her second feature after she did a movie in 2014 called Posthumous, which I was not even really aware of. Have you, uh, do you have any familiarity with that? No, I, I didn't because I, I had never heard of it. And yeah. then when I knew I was seeing her film, I was like, oh, let me look at her filmography. And I was like, oh, this is like her second mm-hmm. film. So I saw that, but no, I have not seen her first film. Yeah, yeah. And this one is doing so well so far. Apparently it's a reported production budget of $3 million and it's earned 16 so domestically, uh, which is tremendous mm-hmm. return on investment. Uh, let's talk a little bit about not only, you know, the, well, well, the story of the film, I guess we should just mention, because this is a more recent film. A lot of times when, when I talk about movies on the podcast, they're from 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I did uh, Some Like It Hot. <laughs> I have a Christmas in Connecticut episode, and that's like 1945. So this oh, is wow. a movie that a lot of people still might not have seen. So just to give them, True. I guess, the broad scope of what it's about. So uh, Aquafina plays Billy Wong, who is, uh, I think she's, is she a journalist? What is she, her career? I forget exactly. She's a writer, she, right? She's a writer, yes. Yeah. yeah, she's a writer and living in New York, has a really close relationship with her nene. Um, who is played really, really, really well by Shuzen Zhao, I believe. I want to make sure. I yeah, get that I believe right. that's how she pronounces it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've had some difficulty pronouncing it as well, but I believe you're, you're correct. And um, you know, gets a hears from her her parents that her nene has been diagnosed with a, a you know fatal disease. I guess I, it's funny. I feel like now talking about people that should go into this blind and then telling them the general premise. But this is all like the first, what, five minutes of the movie. It, uh, it, it definitely <laughs> is in the trailer as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's the first like five minutes of the film. Yeah. So her nene is diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and the family decides not to tell her uh, just to kind of let her live out the rest of her life in peace. But they also want to obviously say their spoilers for the title farewell uh, to her before, uh, before, you know, her, before she meets her, her end there and, and suffers at the hands of, uh, you know, her disease. So I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that that in and of itself already is kind of touching on a, a bunch of really heady themes, you know, family being paramount among them, as you mentioned. And apparently, were you familiar about the story behind this, uh, this movie that it was based in part on Lulu Wan's own life and that the story apparently, I guess, first appeared on This American Life? No. So, yeah, I, I did not know about that until after seeing the film. So apparently she did an episode of This American Life and talked about her personal story, which this film is based off of. And when I went to her Q&A, she did discuss like some of the connections. Like it honestly really felt I, I don't know how many things she changed specifically. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like a lot of it did happen to her. So um, I found that very interesting. So I guess that's another thing. If you end up seeing her, this American Life episode, maybe, I I don't know, maybe wait to listen to that Mm -hmm. so you can watch this film (laughs) first because technically that might spoil Uh, what happens in this movie. Um, And then, so that's why I was was a little happy that I didn't hear that episode uh, before seeing the film. Um, But yeah, I, I just think it's very interesting that this story actually happened to her. And it was something that, I personally was not familiar with at all. I did not know that this was something done. Um, apparently, it's not only done in China. It's done in many places. Um, but I think we can confidently say it's not really done in America. Right. Because <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know how you would be able to do it. You know, like. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I myself, like culturally, um, my parents are Nigerian. I'm first generation American. Um, and for me, you know. I had never heard of anything like that. I was just like, whoa. But when we were at the Q&A, there were multiple people who shared their personal stories and places like they were from different places um, and saying like, oh, yeah, we did this with our relative or we know a lot of people who do that same thing. The movie, I think, in large part, in addition to just the family and the culture is also just about Billy kind of feeling stuck between her, you know, her two cultures. She's an immigrant. She's, you know, her family are of immigrants and she's, you know, a New Yorker as Aquafina is, 
but she and she hasn't been home to the mainland China for a long time. And so it's kind of her feeling out of sorts in her own home country in a weird way. And I think that's also an interesting uh, an interesting angle that the film gets a lot of juice out of. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked that conversation that they had multiple times in the film, which I also wasn't expecting. They have one conversation where she is talking about like she moved to America as a young girl and as an adult now dealing with uh, her nine eyes illness and stuff. She's reflecting on I am upset that we left here. You know, like I understand we went to the U.S. for whatever reasons, but now I feel alone. And I feel like I should stay. But yeah, also, when I'm here, I don't necessarily feel like I'm from here or I belong. Um, I think they talk about how maybe her language, how she's speaking the language isn't exactly correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And so certain things like that, which I don't think many people think of. And I know when I saw this film, my husband was reflecting on the fact that he has known a lot of people in his life who have come to America at a young age and he never really thought about like, Oh, okay. You're probably like happy, right? Like, sure. You're here and you have friends, but it's like, yeah, but all my family and all my friends I had where I'm from aren't here and how isolating that can feel. Um, when you don't have the people that you grew up with, or at least that you remember at a young age with you anymore. It's kind of the, you know, the phenomenon of your, you know, you've, grow up with your siblings and your parents in the house, you know, in your childhood home. And then eventually you all grow up and move to different cities. But this is like taken up to the 11th degree because it's not only, you know, it's completely different culture. And it's it's kind of the ultimate what if scenario. Like, how would my life be different if I'd stayed here? Would I feel like I belong instead of feeling like I'm, I guess, in some respects caught between two worlds. And I think that her nine eyes illness really brings that that issue and that question to the surface for Billy that she, you know, she reunites with all these cousins that she hasn't seen in forever. Some of them are uh, spoilers, I guess, mild spoilers for the movie. Some of them are about to get married and uh, a lot of them mm-hmm. have families of their own and things like that. So I think it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question to to ponder, like what would you know, what would your life be like had you make different and how you made different life decisions? And I think the movie taps into a very specific uh, example or instance of that. But it's it's kind of, it's one of those themes that that is instantly relatable to pretty much anybody watching the film. And I think that's probably part of why it is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And to speak about like the cultural differences, I think another conversation that's really big, again, something I was not expecting that they were going to tackle is kind of this... Um, feeling of like east versus west Mm -hmm. and your mentality when you grow up in wherever you grow up so her family and i think it's specifically her uncle is saying you know in the west it's about the individual that's how you're that's how the society is built you're thinking about yourself obviously he's not trying to say like you don't have family but he's just saying like it's about you as an individual versus in the east we are a family unit. We take on everything for the family. Therefore, why, when Billy is saying, like, why are we doing this? You know, mm-hmm. like, like, why don't we tell her? His response is, it is a, a kind act what we're doing because we are taking the burden and the um, grief of learning about the illness versus Nai having to deal with that illness and you know maybe becoming more stressed out about it which is very interesting because I like that this film tells you this information and I don't think the film is trying to say one is right and one is wrong it's just trying to say here is the information and this is what we're doing and I I really like that it wasn't trying to sway like oh no you should do it the American way or you should do it the Chinese it's just like this is what we're doing right and we have a difference of opinion but this is what we're going to do. And I think she even has another relative who I forget if it's her, an aunt or someone who is a bit judgmental about like, oh, you left your nai here alone because your uncle lives in Japan and you live in the U.S. And, oh, you think the U.S. is better, um, but you can make money in China. China's better. China, you know, whatever. She's saying all this stuff. And there's a back and forth where... <laughs> It's a little bit tense because they're kind of like dunking on one another. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, like, <laughs> yeah. But Culture clash. The, like, and, and yeah. 
ultimately. Exactly. But the conclusion of it is this woman who's saying this stuff eventually is told like, oh, well, if you really believe that, why are you sending your son to the U.S. Mm -hmm. for school? And then she's just like, uh, you know, and it's just like because because it is a mixed thing. It's not black and white as much as maybe some people might think it would be like, okay, this is the best place to live and blah, blah, blah. No, it's there. Everybody has different perspectives. Everybody has different things they're experiencing. And I just really enjoyed this film on top of everything else they're tackling even brought that up. I just thought it was amazing. I think that's, you know, the, one of the moments that I, I loved was fairly early on where Aquafina arrives uh, when Billy arrives in China at her grandma's at her Nai house. And uh, you can tell like, in, you know, not to get too deep into the plot, but you can t- see the conflict on her face. Like she she wants <laughs> so desperately to just spit it out. But she's you know, mm-hmm. surrounded by all these family members that are like staring daggers at her. Like, you better not say anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and the the understated nature of Aquafina's performance in throughout throughout the film. But I mean, specifically in that moment when she comes face to face with her nine night for the first time in I don't know how many years. Uh, I think they mentioned it early mm-hmm. in the beginning. And then the movie wisely establishes right out the gate how close they are. She's like walking to work and she's talking to her nine night on the phone, telling her about, you know, what's going on in her life and all that stuff. Um and and I think, you know, let's talk about Aquafina's performance a little bit. What was your familiarity with her uh, prior to this movie, like as far as a rapper, as far as an actress? And and did she surprise you with what she was capable of here? She definitely surprised me. Um, I did not know too much about her career before seeing this film. In 2018, I believe she was in Crazy Rich Asians and Ocean's 8. Mm-hmm. And I think I had watched her on another show on Hulu that I don't even remember. I think it's Future Man. And she has like such a small part in that as well. And that was it for me. I like when I saw her and people would say, oh, Aquafina. I was like, what? So I might have Googled her and said, oh, OK, she's a rapper. But I have never heard one of her songs. <laughs> I, I did not really know her before 2018, really. Yeah. Like I maybe I had heard of her, but that was like my first time actually seeing anything she has done. And the things that I've seen her in before this were comedic. So um, Ocean's 8, she also has, I I think, a smaller part in that, too. But in Crazy Rich Asians, it's very bold, very loud. And she's one of the, like, main comedic factors in that film. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was my knowledge of her. So going into this, I was like, wow, okay, so she could do other things too. Like I was very impressed by that because like you said, it does require this performance requires it's almost like she's very natural. She's very calm. And I think sometimes somebody might overplay it and be overly emotional Mm -hmm. the entire time or at least visibly emotional, but she's somehow able to show her sadness and you could see the conflict of her constantly withholding information. And then also her feeling at home with Nai Nai, this relationship. Uh, I loved how the film began because they started right out with us knowing like, OK, these two are close. Apparently, they talk to each other on the phone, at least on a regular basis. And, you know, Nai Nai is saying stuff that is maybe like. Are you wearing a beanie? You know, maybe being a little smothering on like, you know, okay, I know in New York they could just snatch your earrings right off your, you know, like she's like saying things that maybe aren't true or whatever. And um, Billy, Aquafina, is just like, I am, she might be lying a bit, but she's very patient and very loving. And I think Aquafina just does an amazing job at portraying this character. I, I was really impressed to the point that I would like to see her do more stuff like this. Um, I, I also think she's funny in the other stuff I've seen her in, but I just I just love this performance. It's a it's a there's a real warmth that she brings to the part, too. And I think that's probably not only that she's able to, to carry out a lot of the quieter moments, uh, but also that that she she brings such emotion to it. And, you know, uh, like you, I, I had barely heard of her before uh, Ocean's 8 and Crazy Rich Asians. And even uh, even in those movies, not only is she the the a major comedic force, but she is like loud and brash and in your mm-hmm. face. And like, she's like, you know, very uh, fast talking and abrasive sort of, that's kind of her, her comedic uh, image that she's created for herself. And yet this movie strips all of that away. And she's just very real and very 
uh, emotionally bare in a lot of in a lot of ways. And it's you know they say all the time, well, comedy is harder than drama, and yet every time one of these comedians comes out with a, a really strong dramatic performance where I was like, wow, I can't believe you can do that. Um, I I don't know why people are so... Because, like, for me, uh, I I love, like, Bill Hader. I think he's mm-hmm. hilarious. And I think he's also a great actor. Yeah. And I think people... I think, honestly, if you're a comedian or uh, funny or something, you would probably be good or great at in a dramatic role. But it does not work the other way around. I actually get really frustrated when actors who are more suited for dramas get cast as leads in comedic roles probably because maybe they're more famous or something i don't know right because it's like they just aren't able to deliver i I think it's very hard to make people laugh you know like it's very difficult and i think if you're able to make people laugh you could probably also play dramatic parts and connect with people emotionally versus if you're only able to do the drama i don't know if it translates well (laughs) and aquafina it's very interesting since she has a background it seems like in comedy she was able to do both she was able to connect with us with the humor but also emotionally i think a lot of you know comic actors or comedians specifically a lot of them also you know you hear a lot of times of dealing with anxiety bill Hader has been very outspoken about him his struggles with anxiety and depression so it means they feel they have a lot of their own inner demons and I, I don't, and I think for a lot of them, their comedy is sort of a defense mechanism to that, or like a a, a positive way to ch- channel those emotions. So maybe, yeah. the, maybe you know, this is just me spitballing a theory here. I feel like when they are able to flex their dramatic muscles, it's almost they're just kind of tapping into a kind of almost a truer version of themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that is really interesting that uh, many comedians also mention like, because I'm, I'm sure so many people, regardless of your comedian, experience anxiety. Right. But it's very interesting. You would assume, oh, you're funny. You seem so happy. And then you're like, you talk to them. They're like, actually, I'm deeply depressed. You're like, yeah. oh, OK, <laughs> I did not catch that in, in all the jokes you were telling. Um, so it, it is very interesting. And I, I wonder what path Aquafina wants to take with her career because at least she's been able to show that she can do more than comedy and she could do this role really effectively. I'd like to see this film get some awards consideration. I don't know if it, it's, I feel like it might be so small that it flies under, you know, the Academy's radar uh, or, you know, anything like that, because, uh, and I know listening to your podcast that I know you and Kyle are both huge fans of eighth grade which got yes. completely shafted yes. by the Oscars and all of that. And I have already done it. I was so on that. mad. And that was yeah. by far one of the best movies of that year. And it similarly it tells a very small scale, but universally relatable story for a small budget. And, it, and uh, yeah. And again, another film that's in that, I guess in that movie, it's uh, from behind the scenes, but Bo Burnham writing and directing it. So again, kind of a movie that's coming out of uh, a comedian's uh, perspective mm-hmm. a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So, I, I hope that the farewell able is able to break through some of that and get you know either a screenplay nomination or something. And I know, I know that uh, Aquafina probably has stiff competition to get in in for best actress. But you know, uh, Shuzu Shuzen Zhao, I gotta, I'm gonna have to edit that down so I don't <laughs> sound like a doofus. Shuzen Zhao, <laughs> um, uh, I I think she was a huge part of this movie, and she's essentially kind of the second lead of the film. I would say. Yeah, I really hope so. Like, I I definitely love watching award shows. I'm not as knowledgeable as everybody, it seems like, on Twitter is when they know all these, like, behind the scenes facts. They're all pretending. (laughs) It's all theorizing. Maybe maybe they are because I'm just like, how do you, like, know that? Like, I'm always like, uh, I don't know. But um, I really hope that she gets nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress. I think the movie, as much as it's on Billy, where we, the audience, are with Billy it really is heavily on uh, Nainai and her performance. And like, I think that without her, the, the movie would have crumbled. Like she's, she's so good at playing this grandmother, this figure that is, you know, funny, sometimes rude, especially to uh, Billy's cousin's girlfriend, yeah, you know, like yeah. there's, there's some little jabs here and there that are pretty funny. Um, and she is sweet and really like just truly that connection that they have. There's multiple times that they uh, spend time with each other that every time I like can't keep my eyes off of 
uh, now I'm going to mess up her name, uh, <laughs> Susan Zhao. <laughs> um, and I, and I really hope that she gets nominated this film. You know, I feel like if we're talking like awards buzz, I feel like earlier in the year, people were like, maybe, you know, maybe the farewell. And now apparently there's a new movie from a 24 called waves that oh yeah, yeah apparently is phenomenal i have not seen it because it only premiered i think at a film festival recently um but i'm looking forward to it but apparently people are like speculating a24 only has so much campaign power that right. they can only put uh one film in the intention and i'm like oh i'm sure waves is great and i'm sure <laughs> in a few weeks when i see waves i'm gonna be like yes it should be nominated but i don't think i'm ever gonna change my mind that the farewell should get nominations as well i agree screenplay i think best supporting actors and i even like i i'm sure it'll be difficult for aquafina but at least for me when i start thinking about the best performances of this year aquafina is on that list for me so i really hope and I, I know the year's not over yet but it's almost over kind mm-hmm. of you yeah, know? Like, so, yeah we're getting there so it's just like I, I really just hope it gets some uh, love at during the award season. And the other thing, too, is that I, I, I looked on IMDb. Apparently, Shuzen Zhao has no other credits on IMDb. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. Maybe she's just done a bunch of, a bunch of films overseas. But if this is truly like one of her first performances, like that's really strong, <laughs> really strong performance as a, yeah, a debut. I, I, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the situation is with that. I believe she's had um, she's a working actress in China and like she's had other uh, projects, but for whatever reason, it's on IMDb. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's true. But I think she I think she has done other performances, just not anything that was also released like in the U.S. Right. Because the only only person in this film other than Aquafina that I recognized was uh, Zima as Billy's father, who's been in. I remember him way back in the day in Rush Hour, (laughs) of all things. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. He's been in a lot. He's one of those. I think he was also in Arrival. He shows up in a lot of movies every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, he like, hey, is in he a is. lot of stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so he and he's a great character actor that we don't see enough of in general. So I was just so happy to see him in this too. I was like, "Hey, I know you." Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned A24, which we should probably just t- talk about A24 for a second because they I picked this up for distribution for 7 million dollars beating out, you know, companies like Netflix and things like that. What is going on with A24? Every time they come out with a movie, I'm always at least fascinated by the result, even if it's not something that entirely works for for me as a, as a you know specific moviegoer. What what are your thoughts on that studio and just their like kind of real eye for fascinating material? Yeah, I I am also very fascinated by them because even if like I haven't seen all of the A24 films, whenever I see a trailer, I'm like, oh, that looks good. Oh, that's interesting. And it's always like these very small or maybe not always, but a lot of times small stories that I'm just like, oh, it, this feels very refreshing. I think right. I I always feel like sometimes I sound like I'm bashing Disney where I love Disney films. So like I, I go see them. I see Marvel movies. So I'm not trying to say anything negative about that. Right. But it is a little overwhelming sometimes when it feels like everything is a superhero film mm-hmm. or a big movie and whatever. And A24, I think, is very just like focused on telling specific, unique stories. And I I just love like, so yeah, anytime I hear something is coming out with A24, even if I'm like, huh, should I see this movie? I don't know if I should see it. I end up seeing it because I'm just like, well, I know even if I don't like it, it will be interesting. Exactly. And that is something that I feel like sometimes you don't get in like big box office movies. Like the movies that are making the most money sometimes aren't interesting. They might be like entertaining in the moment, but they leave your mind and you don't think about them. Like I said, with a, with a, the farewell, I can't stop talking about the farewell. And I saw it months and months ago, uh, eighth grade, I probably annoyed so many people because I would not stop talking about eighth grade. I was like, this is the best movie. So many people haven't seen it. I think even the release was weird because it didn't come out in the UK for like a really long time. And, you know, but I kept talking about how great this movie was. So yeah, I think a 24 is great. I always am looking forward to see like their next trailer, what's coming out, what they have planned. And even like I said, that movie waves is another movie that I'm like, I am interested. I know very little. I don't think I've seen a trailer. I think I've only seen pictures, but they got me, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm already there to see what's coming out with them. You know, it's gotten to that point that whenever a trailer starts and I see that a 24 logo at the beginning, I just like, you know, move like 
curl, like, um, lean forward in my seat a little and was like, oh, oh, this is going to be interesting. I got to like, I, I'm thinking because I'm looking at just, you know, to put in better context, I brought up the list of the films that they've done. And yeah, I didn't really care for something like Under the Skin, which a lot of people love. And I still haven't seen Spring Breakers, honestly. But the movies like Ex Machina, like The Witch, Swiss Army oh, Man, The Lobster, yes. Moonlight, like these are, whether you love them or Ghost Story, whether you love them or hate them, there's no other studio that's willing to put down a few million dollars even for movies as ostensibly strange as those. And, and I, they, they are, they're just fearless when it comes to bankrolling these independent filmmakers visions. And I love that about them. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. So I've never been a person who's like, you know what I should get some distribution merch, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like, am I going to get a A24 (laughs) beach towel now? Like, I'm just like so excited about them as a company that I, you know, like it's, I've never thought about getting a product from a distribution company, but I just really think I, I I 100% agree with you. Like, even as you were listing that, I was like, oh yeah, Moonlight is A24. Mm -hmm. I love, you know, like, like just like it's, I, I hope, I know these movies are made on a small budget and like you mentioned earlier, this film, The Farewell, was made for $3 million. It made $16 million, which is phenomenal for this movie, right? Yeah. But I think in context of something like Avengers Endgame, you know, people see that. I, I find it very interesting this summer how obsessed people have been with, like, getting certain movies to be, like, the number one mm-hmm. biggest box office thing. And I, and I love watching box office stuff, but it's been a little bit, like, interesting. Um but like, I think some people see like, oh, that's a small movie. I don't need to see it. Right. And it's like, ah, oh, but you should, because it's because re- I think people would really connect with it and really like it. And I definitely understand also that people only have like so much money to spend at the theater that they want a guaranteed hit. They want to know they'll like it. And I know like I took my sister to see Midsummer, oh, and she was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like you know, I I definitely understand like. Uh, you wanted a guaranteed hit and this movie is not going to maybe no, connect with everyone. Yeah. So I, I, I understand maybe the hesitation some people might have in seeing these stories, but I really do hope that people see them, especially something like the farewell, which I think is, I think it was the director long when in, during the Q, the Q and a, she was expressing some of her fears saying like, Oh, the story is so specific. I was worried it wouldn't relate to people. But actually, I think is very universal, the themes and topics that they're talking about when it comes to family and grief and um, relationships that I think I I can't imagine somebody watching this and not getting something out of it. And I think A24 films as a whole do that a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every time you watch one of them there, it's it's definitely almost never like anything you've ever seen before. And and I know there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, how are we going to save the movie theaters? And of course, all the all the talk lately has been about the um, like the movie pass model, like the subscription thing. And I actually have Mm -hmm. an AMC A list that I use frequently. So I would, I would definitely, what, what, do, you, what do you think would be the, the, the best way to kind of encourage people to go see smaller movies like this and not just wait for the next Disney remake uh, or the next Fast and Furious or superhero movie or wh- whatever. And again, I'm a fan of most of that. I talked about, I'm still talking to my wife about Avengers Endgame because that movie, <laughs> as big as it is, it's, it, it's really emotional. And, you know, there's a characters that you're invested with and all that. But yeah. there's, there's a broader world out there and you see people all the time, casual moviegoers, I guess, or just fanboys or girls that are that are just like all their favorite movies are superhero movies. And it's like there's a lot out there. You're experiencing a very limited scope of what cinema is capable of. So you know, what would you what do you how do you think is the, the, the best way to get people just to go and take a chance on these films? What I hope for is something like MoviePass, but that works and doesn't crumble, <laughs> you know, not like how yeah. movie pass is not Imploded. working anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, which I, I, I really hope for the day we get a documentary about movie pass oh, and man. find out everything. Yeah. I would love to know like exactly the decline, but anyway, I, I would love something like that. Cause I think I remember reading different uh, articles that were going over like the movie pass effect right. when it was at its peak and people were like, yeah, I, I have this thing. I'm only paying, what, 10 bucks a month or however much they were paying. Let me go see a different movie that I wasn't expecting to see. Like, I think I think when it becomes a financial thing that people can actually achieve, 
that is very helpful for people to widen their scope. Because I definitely, like I said, I can I can understand not wanting to pay. Like here, if you see a movie that's not matinee at my theater, uh, I think it might be like $13. So if you are a family trying to see a movie or a group of people trying to see a movie, that adds up very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, like, I, so I, I definitely understand. Um, but I hope that people, I mean, I, I also think that the idea of movie going, like going to the theater might be evolving and it might be more streaming based. It might be like a thing like maybe a 24 will have like a distribution deal with like, I don't know, Apple TV streaming or Netflix or HBO or something where at least you're guaranteed like, okay, I know I can't make it to the theater, but I I can't wait to watch this on HBO or something, you know, like I I don't, I don't think it's a negative um, because at the end of the day, this is a film that multiple people worked on. It's a piece of art that I think, you know, if the filmmaker wants you to see it, I, I, I know there are some filmmakers that are like, you can only see my film in theaters. <laughs> so that doesn't make it harder. <laughs> but I, I think most filmmakers are just like, I just want you to see my story. And I just want to see how you connect with it. And so I hope that people try to, I, I hope there's a change. I hope either we get a nice movie pass that works with everything or we get some type of like outlet knowing like, okay, the movie's out now, but three months from now, it's guaranteed to be streaming. I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be more financially accessible to, to me, you know? I think I, so I, I, I hope that happens. I was actually a, a member of MoviePass, like before anyone in my, you know, in my circle of friends or family even had heard of it. Like I was like, oh, I'm behind up for MoviePass. I was like, what the hell is that? Like before all of that had happened, I was, I was on it and watched it crumble. So uh, now I, yeah. I, I mean, I would recommend people definitely if they have AMCs and of course AMC is now the, essentially the Disney of movie theater chains buying up everything. Yes. Uh, that, yes. that's really worked for me personally, uh, just cause it's like $20 a month and I, you know, I don't get to the theater as much as I like, but you can see up to three a week. And so I have not really been able to take advantage of that as much because my wife and I have a we have a toddler and so time is sparse and, oh. and things like that. Yeah. So uh, but that's one thing that I, that's worked for me. And, and I think you're on to something with the with streaming as far as, you know, we're hearing a lot about now Disney Plus again, back to Disney. But it's kind of yeah. unavoidable these yeah. days. Um and uh, I wouldn't be surprised at some point I'm looking again, I'm looking at the list of A24 films and there are dozens just in like the last five years. I wouldn't be surprised if they start up their own streaming service at some point, uh, kind of catering yeah. more to cinephiles like the, you know, the movie crowd, essentially. Yeah, I, I hope they do that. I also hope that maybe they bundle it because, again, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't do any more stream. <laughs> like I'm already <laughs> like dreading this Disney Plus thing because I'm like, OK, I will do it. But no more. And then Apple TV is like, oh, we're doing a thing. I'm like, I'm exhausted. I don't know <laughs> if I can do how many more streaming services I can add to my bill. But uh, yeah, I, I do hope that there's something that works out for everyone. We also had MoviePass, but we had MoviePass when it, not when it first started, but I guess kind of towards the beginning where right. I think it was maybe $30 a month. Yeah, It was definitely yeah. more expensive. And we stopped because, I mean, my husband will listen to this <laughs> and I think he will admit he was getting a little intense where he was like, if let's say there's no movie coming out, like, you know, we're in September, late August when movies are kind of dwindling. Right. Right. Um, he would force himself to see movies that weren't interesting or weren't good <laughs> or whatever, just to make sure it paid off for the right. bill. And I was like, Kyle, we need to end this because it's getting intense now. Now we're forcing ourselves to see movies we didn't even want to see, nor do we like have any interest. It's not about exposing ourselves. It's like, we know we won't like this movie <laughs> and we're stressing out about it. This is not good. But the $10 a month obviously was like very appealing. But then when it starts to crumble, we're like, uh, never mind. AMC, there is an AMC theater near us, but unfortunately it's not the most convenient uh, so we go to our theater. We have like a whole thing. We go to our theater that's like less than 10 minutes away from us. And we try to go matinee. So that's how we save on money. And right. then we also buy tickets at Costco for the, our theater. Uh, we go to a Century Theater. I don't know if that's uh, nationwide, but uh, they have very discounted uh, ticket rates that you could buy like bundles of tickets. So that's been a good thing. If anybody's like trying to find like a hack because they want to see more movies, right. but they can't afford it. 
I would say matinee, go to Costco <laughs> or get AMC, <laughs> you know, like one of those three. Right, right. No. And, and I know, I mean, I know that was kind of an extended tangent. We're talking about the farewell, but I think it's it's a, a very related conversation because this is a smaller movie that I'm, a lot of people might just be like, eh, I'll see it when it hits, you know, Redbox or Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever. But um, before we start winding down, I wanted to make sure that we, and spoiler warning here for people that haven't seen The Farewell, I, we had to talk about the ending. Yes. The way yes. that the movie okay, yeah. ends. So, so I'll, spoiler I'll, warning <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Right, exactly. <laughs> So I'll I'll cue it up. So ultimately, you know, everything goes according to plan. Billy, uh, you know, Billy agrees to not tell her nine-nine. There's this big, like, tearful goodbye scene. And then, of course, the credits reveal that six years after her diagnosis, nine-nine is the the movie's, the, the real-life uh, equivalent of nine-nine, is still mm-hmm. around doing, you know, living just fine and uh, kind of persisting through it. So what was your emotional reaction to that that uh, oh. that you know that farewell outside by the cars, and, and then also the sort of reversal, I guess, the like uh, relief that that uh, that title card uh, puts up. Well, not title card, but that text on the screen pulls up. Even you describing it right now, I have goosebumps. I feel like I'm about to start crying because it it for me. So l- let me rewind. When she's saying goodbye, that scene was so touching and emotional because I think uh, Billy tells Nai like my writing isn't going well I didn't get accepted to this program am I going to be okay and Nai is like you're young you'll be okay she gives she gives like the most awesome <laughs> speech you would want to hear someone you look up to say to you basically like mm-hmm. all the right things and then she's like you'll be fine don't worry and then they have like this very long goodbye where like they're in the house and they say goodbye at the entrance and then they walk to the car and say goodbye and then finally she's in the car and as she's driving away you could just see Nai alone I I started crying at that moment because I was just like oh, that's I mean she's gonna die but that's so amazing that they were able to have such a touching moment right there that's so great and then we see uh, Billy go to New York and whatever then when the text happens and you see that she's alive I like I'm not a sports person but I feel like maybe if you are and you have like your favorite team and like they haven't been winning and then they finally win something, it felt like, yeah, I felt so <laughs> pumped. Um, I had accepted and loved the movie already. Like, you know what? That was amazing. So touching. Loved it. But that little added bonus of knowing that the real Nine is still alive after all of that stuff. I just, it was perfect it was just so perfect that I don't know and it's so interesting that this is her real life and like everything about it was phenomenal it's one of it's one of those beautiful moments I think too in that where where the the tragedy and the comedy sort of counterpoint each other in that that you know as you said it's this extended farewell and it's it's you know essentially the last time Billy thinks she's ever going to see her nai nai and and then to have that kind of the rug sort of be, be pulled out from under us in a like in a heart wrenching, but also like really in a way kind of hilarious moment. You're like, Oh my God. And she's still alive. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, I think it encapsulates the entire tone of the movie and that it's both at the same time. And I think it also underscores to me, it, it felt like a, a commentary on the fact that you, you never know what's going to happen. Like you could get diagnosed with something yeah. you could, live many, many years, just fine. Or you could be perfectly healthy, walk out of your house and get hit by a bus. It's like, you never know exactly what, what to expect, what life's going to throw at you. And so I, I, that was, it kind of, it kind of, in that way, it was, that sounds like kind of terrifying the way I said it, but it, it, it's in that way, kind of life affirming and, and like inspiring and like, yeah, it's, that's right. Nina has got, you know, she's got the situation she's dealing with, but you can still persist through things. You know, you never know how something's going to end or when your time is. And I thought that was a, a kind of a beautiful sentiment for the movie to end on a film that's entirely mm-hmm. like, it, it basically like what an, uh, an hour and a half long meditation on impending tragedy and grief and family and, and the connections that that that, uh, you know, lie therein. And I thought that was a, a beautiful note to to, you know, kind of period at the end of the sentence or exclamation point, really, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like five. <laughs> like, it's just like, truly, it's like, just 
an awesome way to end the film. And the thing that I'm just so curious about is that, you know, Lulu Wong has discussed, like, she filmed in a lot of the locations that she grew up, where her nine eyes still lives. And it's like, so she doesn't know what's going on. Like, so apparently to this day, she still doesn't know about them knowing about her cancer. Hmm. And it's just like, how, just like, how? how like, it seems work? so... Yeah. How does that work? That seems, and also this movie is now out. Mm-hmm. So what if she wants to be like, oh, you worked on a movie? I would love to see it. You know, like a different, different how, cut how, of a different edit of the farewell that like completely yeah. hides the plot of the movie. And it's like, a, <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a feature. Why is it like ten minutes? Oh, you, you know, it's just, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's just a short subject on how much I love my family. Oh, that's nice, dear. Okay, cool. There you exactly. Go. <laughs> yeah. They, I guess that's what they would have to do because like, truly I don't understand, but yeah, no, the, the ending is just like amazing. And like you said, I think it just pinpoints like you have no idea where life is going to take you. You, you can plan all you want. Obviously they planned this wedding so they could say their goodbye. They traveled over there and did all this stuff. And she's obviously still alive after six years later, you know, like it's, it, you know, they did all this stuff. And I, I think it's also a very interesting second part would be to find out what happened with her cousin and the girlfriend, because like, you know, six years later after the wedding, mm-hmm. that was, you know, like, like, did they get really married so that they could keep it going? Or did she, did he just say I got divorced? Like, I just, I don't know. It's just a very interesting thing to think about what happens after this film, mm-hmm. but Oh, loved it. Yeah, same, same. Is there, is there uh, before we end the show, is there anything about the farewell that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we covered? You know, I think we nailed everything. Like, everything that I'm thinking, there are some scenes that also I found very interesting, the way it's shot, where they're all in a group, but all lined up. Mm-hmm. There are multiple times that happens. And I, I've heard some criticism, because... I was like, do I have any criticism for this film? And it's like, no, I don't. But I've heard other people. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard other people complain about some of the shots, like maybe not enjoying that. I loved it. I thought it made me feel like, okay, this is their like group. This is their unit. It made me, I liked that. Yeah. Um, but I guess some people didn't, I don't know. I thought that was cool. Like when they, yeah, the, the, the kind of group shots of all of them. And I think there's even, I feel like there's even one where they're all walking. It's like reservoir dog yeah. style of this family. Yeah. It's really that cool. Was great. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was awesome. And then there's also like a lot of scenes of them eating together. Mm-hmm. And I know Lulu Wong mentioned that she was worried that maybe it would come off repetitive but honestly, I think what it does is it's obviously a repetitive act. Like ever, like we saw them eat multiple times together at a table, like right. kind of whatever. But it felt comforting. It felt like it felt like very like, OK, this is their family. They eat together. They talk together like this is what you do. And it felt like, oh, yay, we're it's dinner time. Like I, I was always excited during those <laughs> scenes and it felt like, OK, they're they're connected. So I think she I think Wu Wang um, did an amazing job helping create this family unit on top of the relationship with Billy and Nainai. Um, And I think that I can understand maybe somebody complaining about that or thinking it as a negative, but I just can't. (laughs) I think it's a positive. I think it, it really enhanced the film. So I I guess I should just mention that in case someone's like, wait, you didn't say anything negative about the film. I don't have anything. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have anything, but here, here are some that you might. Basically. yeah yeah, yeah no. may- maybe yeah like i don't know and going back to you know you mentioned about all the meals that they share together i mean that that again is very the food the type of food that they're eating is very specific but that mm-hmm. is a very universal you know a universal thing you go back home you're in a family setting you're always like oh you have more have more, you know eat more food i mean you know i guess i said yeah that my mom's side of the family is italian so we're like manja manja more pasta and like you know yeah. every that's that's kind of the 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 fam that's that's a very family, especially with a large family like this, that's a very common thing, regardless of where you're from. And I think that that helps the movie feel uh, accessible to people that don't share this culture that, you know, it, it is a family just like yours. They just happen to be Chinese, you know, and uh, I yeah, think that's yeah. I think that that add, does add a lot to uh, to making this feel like a cohesive family unit um, throughout the film, which is, of course, the whole point. So um, great. Exactly. So, uh, Sade Glover, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? 
Yeah, uh, you can find me at Offscreen Babble on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find our podcast, Offscreen Babble, wherever you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this movie. I, I, I also really loved it, obviously, as you can tell. And uh, it's definitely on my among my favorite movies of the year. So I, I think people, if it's still playing near them, definitely check it out. Otherwise, I guess wait till it hits a streaming service, which we kind of alluded to earlier. Uh, yeah, absolutely see it if you can. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, if, if, Go ahead. Yeah, especially because it's a small film. I definitely understand why many people would be like, how am I supposed to see this movie? But mm-hmm. right. if you get a chance, absolutely see it. It's amazing. I'm glad you liked it. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about it. I, I, I've been like, I'm so happy just rethinking about everything that happened in this movie. Yeah, it makes me want to watch it again, but I don't think it's I think exactly. I'm going to have to wait till Blu-ray now or something. So yeah, <laughs> they're streaming. But uh, yeah, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. I would love to do this again. Uh, talk about another movie. So, you know, definitely let me know if something comes up. You know, if you think of something that you want to come on and talk about it, this has been a blast. Of course. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Shade. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the